Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. Hi, my name is Melvin, and Captain America is way cooler than Iron Man. Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a Christian podcast service that seeks to encourage and equip Christians to engage and reform the culture of cinema. In this episode, Daniel and I talk about Joe Johnston's Captain America, The First Avenger. In case you hadn't noticed already, Cinematic Doctrine has been going through phase one of the MCU. And while you'll see we took a momentary break to discuss our Patreon-voted episode on American Gospel Christ Alone, as well as catch up on our monthly segments Trailer Talk and Monthly Movie News, we returned with our review on Thor and are now getting closer and closer to The Avengers. But first, here we are, ready to talk about one more film before the big climax. Captain America, The First Avenger. In this episode, Daniel and I talk about how Captain America The First Avenger's first hour has a lot of fun, clever, and poignant character drama mixed in with creative action sequences, only to boil into the second hour of something completely different. Then we take a look at the history of the MCU and how it came into being, you know, some behind-the-scenes stuff, and how Captain America The First Avenger feels like the last of those early-era films before fully embracing the Disney-Marvel writing room. Then, Daniel brings to light some fascinating easter eggs that permeate throughout the entirety of the film, as well as a few that have some comedic ramifications throughout both the film franchise and the Marvel television programs. Also, and we're not apologizing about this, we have a brief X-Men tangent somewhere in the middle of this episode, so look forward to that. Anyways, as always, on the off chance you haven't seen Captain America the First Avenger or simply forget what the movie is about, We've got you covered. Here's a quick synopsis I've adapted from IMDb. It is 1942. America has entered World War II, and sickly but determined Steve Rogers is frustrated at being rejected yet again for military service. Everything changes when Dr. Erskine recruits him for the secret project Rebirth. Proving his extraordinary courage, wits, and conscience, Rogers undergoes the experiment, and his weak body is suddenly enhanced into the maximum human potential. However, things aren't quite right when a new foe appears. If you thought Nazis were bad, Johann Schmidt will give you a run for your money, as even he's become too unruly for the Nazi regime to control. And soon, Steve Rogers will have to come face to face with the legacy of those who pursue unlimited power. 
Captain America The First Avenger is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of sci-fi violence and action. The intense sequences of sci-fi violence and action are based around a super soldier in combat, as well as fighting other soldiers that fit the super category. In fact, that first half of the film has some grounded World War II meets science fiction action where powerful soldiers using electric weaponry fight others with standard, you know, realistic projectile-based weapons. It's nothing particularly graphic, but war is war, so it can still be intense nonetheless. There's also a frightening, over-the-top sequence toward the end of the film that might elicit shock in some and surprise laughter in others. The latter category represents me, but I know that won't represent everyone. Also, the certificate doesn't include these, but the main villain of the film is visually frightening. There are sequences of female gaze where muscular topless men leave the opportunity to be idolized, and a sequence in which characters passionately embrace despite knowing nothing about one another. Now before we head into our Captain America The First Avenger discussion, I wanted to share real quick that if you come to enjoy Cinematic Doctrine, consider leaving a review for the podcast on a respective podcast app at the end of this episode. Unlike YouTube or Reddit, there isn't really a way to let us know how we're doing with a thumbs up or thumbs down, so the best way to leave your thoughts on the podcast is to write a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or wherever you listen. Apart from that, Cinematic Doctrine also has a Patreon. For those who don't know, Patreon is a website for independent content creators to raise support for their work. By creating an account on Patreon, you can select a content creator you like and support them with a monthly donation. If you enjoy Cinematic Doctrine and would like to support the show, consider donating, as it helps cover the cost of producing the podcast. And as a bonus, if you support Cinematic Doctrine for as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll, where you decide a movie we discuss in the podcast. You also gain access to the Syndoc pre-show, a Patreon-exclusive podcast series where my co-host Daniel and I casually talk movies, Christianity, and life itself. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check them out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. Without further ado, here's our thoughts on Captain America, the first Avenger. We've hit it. We've hit, we've hit the moment point where I've been awake for over 24 hours. Oh no. <laughs> And now we have to talk about this movie. It's not bad. It's not a bad movie. Yay! I mean, I mean, overall, did, did you? What movie are we talking about today, Melvin? Captain America: The First yeah. Avenger. Um. Yeah, I think it was. I I enjoyed watching it, but I think this is. But like the caveat is like I think this is one of those unfortunate cases where a movie is like it starts out really strong. And has some things that are super cool, and you're you're just so excited to see them develop. Even some of its campier stuff, because Red Skull is just a campy villain. I mean, there's really nothing you, you can take seriously about him. It's just a Nazi, but turned up to eleven, which is like fun, as horrible as that sounds. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about this movie is your villains are the cell is they're Nazis but eviler. Yes, yeah they're nazis but they also do not like nazis they want more they're too evil for the nazis hitler can't control them yeah exactly that's how bad they are and like all of that stuff is really cool i think it's just a lot of fun how you have things like captain america does a stage show like reluctantly but it's like how can you help your country well be an entertainer which is just so funny to me because i think it's it's bottom of the barrel humor to be like make fun of the people who aren't going to war and think they're actually contributing like to which they are like that helps your morality 
that helps like like why do you do the things you do well so you can kind of like go home and relax and be entertained and stuff and so which obviously isn't you know i'm not making some sort of declarative worldview statement there i'm just saying like functionally like i go to work so i can come home and relax but better yeah (laughs) so that's all kind of fun how it kind of camps that up i think the character drama starts out really strong steve rogers just as a character is like an endearing character and i think he stays endearing like throughout which i think is pretty impressive that pretty much from start to finish in the entire franchise like he is just a very endearing character yeah he never really loses that quality, even as he grows up, not just as a character, but also grows up with a serum injected into his body that turns him into <laughs> <laughs> turns him into uh, Chris Evans. So which also, by the way, like that's CG early on, like that's pretty good stuff. It, like when yeah. they make his body look skinny and small and and meek, like that's some really good effects. The only thing that threw me off was that his voice is still super deep like Chris Evans and. <laughs> You're like, no, those lungs can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've, so this is, we're recording this after we did the Incredible Hulk episode, obviously. And I I kind of feel like that was, man, I I think that's the worst episode I've I've ever done (laughs) of this show. (laughs) We had like nothing to offer because it's one of the worst movies we've ever talked about. (laughs) I think so. I think it's up there. Sonic the the Hedgehog had more to talk about (laughs) and was also just more entertaining to talk about than the Incredible Hulk. But Incredible Hulk was like just a a miserable time throughout its our entire time working for that episode. (laughs) For me, at least. I, I agree. And I think part of it is there was no real plot to describe of any kind. The entire plot can be summed up as Hulk is somewhere else. Then he's dragged back to the place and then he tries to get with girl and then he gets caught. And then, <laughs> and then he goes back to somewhere else. So yeah, like nothing's right. changed. But Captain, Captain America has, it, it almost feels like two movies. And this is a thing that I have. This is a running criticism. I kind of have with a lot of the early, uh, MCU films, and I, I think they do a better job of this as it goes on, but it, there's almost, you can kind of almost feel this tension between two different visions of what the movie should be, where there is this really kind of interesting period action film where you, you talk about all, all the best. I also agree that the best stuff is early on, where they do a wonderful, absolutely wonderful job of establishing Steve Rogers as a character. And there's great stuff where he's a where he really wants to go to, go into war. And he says what I think is one of the most iconic lines of the entire MCU, as it sort of sets the moral fiber of all these superheroes, where uh, Stanley Tucci's character asks him, so like, because he's, he's attempted to join the military four or five times and he gets given rejected because he's a comically small man um, <laughs> who has like asthma. And there's a brief shot. You can see all of his different issues. He's asthma and yes. high blood pressure and all those other things. Everything yeah. that you could have that like won't kill you, but all the, makes yeah. your life significantly harder is, is <laughs> that's his body. Yeah. He's, his body just riddled with the dreaded pre-existing medical conditions. He is living the hard mode. Yeah. <laughs> he's born on hard mode and he gets getting cranked up to expert. And with Dan- <laughs> Stanley Tucci asks him like, so like what? You're like, you want to go kill Nazis, huh? And he's like, I don't want to kill anybody. I just don't like boys. And it's just like a very simple morality of, I do not want to hurt people. I'm not in this to fight, but I do. I dislike injustice and I must do something about it. And 
that simple charming morality is sort of what permeates this entire movie and that's what sort of sets to me captain america is sort of the moral center of the entire franchise where then you see him go into war and tommy lee jones is there and tommy lee jones is playing the tommy lee jones character where he's just this like rough angry man who's like ah we need a big tough soldier guy and there's another great scene where he's trying to prove a point Tucci, so he throws a grenade into a group of people and everyone dives out of the way and steve rogers jumps on top of it and he he's not even at war yet he's ready to sacrifice himself for his fellow soldiers and obviously it's a dummy grenade and all this stuff and there's all these like great little scenes like that where they're building this character and then once he actually becomes captain america they do an actual clever thing where he becomes just a propaganda symbol which is one of the most brilliant ways to integrate the original comics where like they print out the original captain america comic as like a piece of propaganda to like drum up interest in the war and does all these cheesy movie reels and that this is all pretty clever dense stuff for a hollywood blockbuster and then at some point it just becomes a superhero movie (laughs) and like a bad one because like it's it's got exciting action sequences even in that first hour which by the way it almost is the exact first hour ends and like everything kind of falls apart but like there's an action sequence right after steve rogers becomes you know jacked and becomes basically what everybody wants to be if you're a man and everybody (laughs) wants to be with if you're a woman right and it's just like he has this great chase sequence where after this happens a double agent is there and he's uh you know a german spy and he grabs the last vial of the serum and runs away and it's it's important because it's the last vial that can be used for replicating it. And, you know, the Germans want it or Red Skull wants it because it's the perfect version of what he himself has gone through. And, you know, Steve Rogers chases him through, I guess, Brooklyn. I mean, are they back in Brooklyn? I can't even remember, but it's this great old timey New York. Yes. Old timey, whatever city, really. Yeah. Um, and it's just a really fun runaround scene. You have the tension of like, this is happening, it, you know, where citizens are too. So, cause a lot of like, as things continue, it gets to the point where like, it's just sort of like no items, final destination <laughs> after like phase two, like everything just turns into flat area where people fight. So it's just exciting to have it set in like a populated area and it's a good sequence. And he doesn't know how to use his powers fully yet. He doesn't realize how right. high he can jump. He's like literally skits off the road and like, like crashes through a giant window. And he no scratch right. on him. Yeah. The, the sort of thing that like excuse you have when like you accidentally hurt somebody and you say, I just didn't know how powerful I was. Yeah. Like It's just great. Um, and it's, it's a really fun, um, runaround action sequence. And then, yeah, the hour point hits and Daniel, I don't know if you, you can, you felt this transition too, but on the off chance that you did, which scene do you think was the turning point from like good hour of quality and bad hour of just kind of camp for like from your perspective or my perspective, I'd actually be curious if both of us had the exact same sequence or around the same area. But for me, Well, I just want to see what you think. Is it because these all happen around the hour long mark? These all happen around like when this happens. Multiple choice. Multiple choice. Okay. How many many guesses do I get? You get however many guesses make it seem like you don't know the answer already because (laughs) I messaged you online. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) Is it the scene where is it the scene where Captain America 
was seduced by some random nameless secretary that is there just as a sex icon. Played by Natalie Dormer, of all people. Is she in other? I is, I don't recognize the name. Is she in really? Other yeah, yeah, she's she's maybe in I, Game maybe of Thrones. Know, but... She's in Penny Dreadful. Okay, I don't watch a lot of television, so she's uh yeah, she's in a lot of stuff. Yeah, I don't watch a lot of television, so I wouldn't know. I was shocked to see her in this. I was I was shocked. I was like, I remembered like, oh, this is also uh, Jenna Coleman who's in Doctor Who is in this movie that like i do remember seconds. yeah she looked really familiar was yeah. she she was in um kind of the end of matt smith doctor and yes really, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um but yeah is it that scene where was it that scene where captain america is seduced by a random nameless secretary who now has a name and is in tv shows so just so that agent carter can walk in on it and be jealous was it the this is option b because now we're lettering them is it the random action sequence montage where we just watch Captain America win a bunch of fights but don't actually get to see them? <laughs> or is it the entire rush train sequence just so we can have emotional weight come in at the very end? Which if anybody's – I mean we've already kind of spoiled a couple things, but we don't need to spoil this one. But uh, just this incredibly fast scene that's supposed yeah, to have an emotional weight um, and then cuts away. Honestly, like for me, I'm just going to speak for myself in this case but i mean i would assume the montage the montage is both something i enjoy and don't like at all because on the one hand i would like to see more of just captain america and his band of quirky soldiers just doing missions but like the way it's pulled off is not very dare i say cinematic where it looks like just a bunch of kind of like almost completed effect shots trying together um but I know that you have a particular dislike for this Captain America kisses a woman that has had no lines up to that point in the movie and then has no lines after that scene in the movie. <laughs> yes. Natalie Dormer of Game of Thrones fame. I bet she's very proud of that. Uh, probably not. <laughs> I was in Captain America, the first Avengers. What would you do? I just was uh, the other woman for one scene. <laughs> That's like kind of dropped. They don't really... There isn't like a scene after that where Captain America is like makes amends in any way. There is like kind of a fun scene where Peggy Carter is like very upset. And it's not just because Haley Atwell is a very charismatic actor, but like I found every scene of Peggy Carter to be pretty good because she's really good in the movie. And that's actually a running thing with Marvel movies where they have incredible casts. Like there is just an incredible assortment of talent on screen to play even the most like menial like secondary characters it's really amazing when you just look at these casts you have tommy Lee jones stanley tucci i mean chris evans was a good actor he wasn't super well known Haley atwell dominic cooper's in this uh neil mcdonough is dum dum dugan just great acting which which you are right by the way it was that scene i think like that was the transition point for me where i was like this movie has this movie has expended all of its good character drama it's given into cliche yeah and it's and it's decided that the only the next thing it needs to do because the only way you can have drama amongst a relationship of characters is to just have your lead character kiss another woman which by the way you could do that in good drama if if this was a film where steve rogers was having to struggle with the fact that now He's taken a serum and becomes the top dog and like becomes toxic in that way. Yeah. But like the whole thing is that like he doesn't and that's a good thing. So it just feels weird. Like I was like, I don't know if you remember like the scene well, but like 
And, and I even say that knowing that you just watched it last night, because like some things like once a film gets bad, you just start to forget things. <laughs> like it's just right. a fact. Um, but like, do you remember how the music plays up that scene at no. all? No. The music is like, it's like the sort of tragic, like intense music you would hear when like you're expecting her to like shoot him. It's the sort of thing like in, um, do you remember war for the planet of the apes was that the one that is set after the james franco one or is which one is that rise the second one of the the three movies rise basically there's a scene where like you know that based on the music cue that something is going to happen and it's supposed to be a tense scene like if it had no music it would be tense because you really don't know what's going to happen but then then the music plays and it's whimsical music and so you don't have any tension anymore it's just a funny scene even though it's an interaction between two characters that if they knew what was going on, they would just shoot each other. And then the next time they do the scene, they don't play the music. And so immediately before the scene ends with the way that's supposed to be, you know, okay, this is when he's going to actually going to do the whole shooting make shoot thing. And the way this music plays during this weird scene is almost like, it's almost like this other woman is like, the biggest threat this movie has ever had and it's really strange like i i would even say like if you're listening just skip to about an hour in and just like play the scene and with like no context you would think this woman's going to become like a huge villain and then nothing really happens except they kiss she disappears and is never in the entire franchise ever again no yep it is like never seen again which is just you know, classic Hollywood, classic. I don't know. It was just like a really dumb scene. And I feel like that was the pivotal point. That was like the hinge where like everything after this movie is just a mess. Yeah. I I don't know if I would like look to this scene as some sort of like turning point necessarily in the movie, but I around this time, like, I mean, I, this scene I found inoffensive and but not my favorite. Like I was just kind of like, it just doesn't go anywhere. And that was kind yeah. of more my disappointment with the scene. But cause I mean, if you're watching the first time, you're going to, you would assume that this would lead to some ongoing conflict between him and Peggy Carter. And there just isn't, there's one scene where she's upset at him. And then it turns out that's right. We're in the middle of world war two and we're fighting Hydra. So then they just get on to more important things. And there is admittedly a nice scene later on where he's talking about like, uh, you know, he's dealing with the weight of war and he's actually back at a bar that earlier they'd been partying in and now it's been destroyed and he can't get drunk because he has superhero serum and he's struggling with the weight of some of the things that have happened to him. And that's like a nice scene. But it is this point where the movie just, it felt like someone was like, the movie needs action, huh? We need some action. And like, because it's a character driven film where like the best stuff is watching Steve Rogers struggle with what it means to be a hero. And there's this awesome like action sequence where he's, rescuing all these people who've been been captured by hydra and then he returns to the base after everyone thought he was um dead and that seems like very uplifting and it just this movie s- hits all these like simple notes really well where you just can't help but cheer for captain america because he's just such a pure-hearted perfect human being almost <laughs> and then the movie just has to have action and you just get a s- sense that like the people involved in making the film didn't really want to put it there and so they just killed time before they got to the final third act where there's a big siege upon the big bad guy base because they had the big bad guy weapons. And then there's more action. And then the movie has a what I feel is a genuinely 
down effective downer ending as in like an effective tragic ending yeah where like i felt bad and it's 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 interesting because the movie understands that this scene like i mean i don't i feel like it's weird to just jump right to the end of the movie right now but uh, for those who do not know captain america does not stay in the 1940s and does in fact end up in modern day to join the avengers and the way they do this is this plane goes down and he gets trapped in the ice which like the the tragedy of the scene isn't that he's dying because he's captain america he doesn't die it's that he's now separated from the woman that he loves and there's nothing he can do about it and that's just sad and like yeah there's there's no silver lining to it it's just that's it these two people that love each other and she cared about him before he became captain america and there's all this like great stuff early on which you can tell she like admires the person that he is and all that great stuff so that's generally effective yeah it's one of those cases where like you're reminded that whoever's writing has a really good idea knows that the linchpin of the story is steve rogers as a character developing as like not only he he already embodies that purity and that hope for the future and justice now he's just in a position where he can handle it right before he couldn't like he would just get beat up in an alleyway and you have a really sad scene where he's just like i remember this alley and i got beat up and i remember (laughs) that alley and i got beat up and like it's it's only like funny in this like like uh like i could see that being very funny and a cynical satire like that to me is quite comical but it's also sad because like you know who he is and he represent what he represents and the fact that he is just like the little guy and so like it's it's just one of those cases where now he gets to carry that weight and like you said you have that one good scene in the in the last hour which is only like one of two good scenes to me that like really works in the last hour where he's in this bar that is a a clever use of setting to tell a story because like you said like this is a bar they partied in and had fun while they were like in the middle of war and now it's destroyed which just represents like the loss of joy that you have in war and he can't even carry the weight with the added um, delusion of like, if I can just get drunk, then this would be better. And so now he has to just keep enduring. And like, those are great character, like ways of basically saying, this is what Captain America is. He's pure and he becomes powerful. And then saying, what are things we can put in opposition to that? And how does he react? Like that's usually how a good character drama goes. And even a good just story goes is, Here's the one thing that's interesting. What are the 10 things we can put in opposition to it? And at some point, they just get tired of it. And they decide, you know what's cool? A completely CG animated scene where characters drive a convertible down a down like a like a runway that's in a mountain. That's cool. <laughs> like, this is really boring. Like, there is no character drama here. There's really nothing intense going on. Because, like, nothing looks real. So even my ability to suspend disbelief is gone. Um, It's not one of those situations where it's... This will be kind of a weird comparison. But it's not like a speed racer situation where everything is fake. And therefore, I accept that this is the world I live in. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. Because everything's pretty grounded until the last scene where everything gets so CG-ridden that, like, it's just not real anymore. Yeah, and... I, I couldn't help but compare the action in this to the action in later just Captain America films where 
they've really and i've mentioned this before i'm a huge um choreography guy i'm a big martial arts fan and so i like to see like real hand like well real staged hand-to-hand combat it's like either overly stylized or very realistic one of the two mm. len kavazinski fan for the two people that understand that reference yes big <laughs> big len kavazinski fan uh <laughs> can't we see him and leo fong in a movie together um <laughs> but when you watch like winter soldier there is incredible like hand-to-hand fight scenes like knife fights and then the, the fights just keep getting better and better throughout the franchise and then here it's very like and i'm gonna we're gonna get into this a little bit about some of the technical aspects or the behind the scenes stuff in the film but like very old school american like 80s action early 90s action film thing where you just have a big dude who just hits a guy real hard and he goes flying somewhere (laughs) you know and he throws a guy where this you don't have time for all this choreography nonsense you just have big massive dudes like hitting people real hard and like the best example of that not just even hitting people hard but also big guns what's yes. that uh which is i i'm i'm i know i'm like saying best example and i'm about to ask you what the movie title is but what's that movie <laughs> that ends with the guy on the ground and he picks up a bazooka and shoots somebody and like he blows up and then the credits just freeze frame and roll what's the <laughs> oh I, yeah I can't remember but it's where so I just roll good. the credits roll of the scene and it says like this man was sent to jail for all this murder he did <laughs> even though just we, just, we just watched yeah. it blow up <laughs> oh man it's not low blow it's blood debts is that what it is because low debts. blow is the one where with the leo end fong is, yeah yeah and the end credits is him turning the car on but it doesn't turn and on. the car won't start Man, guess what internet YouTube show we are a fan of. <laughs> if you can figure it out, is, I'll just give you all of our Patreon money for three this months. Is, please don't do that. This is great niche <laughs> referencing we're doing. That's how you get listeners. You really yeah. target a niche and only the six people who know can actually support you. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a fan of like the heavies. They looked like the... Any if you if you play any video game where there's a there's a there's like the regular goons and there's bigger goons that you have to stun, then like do some combo move on them or hit a melee move. There's just all of those in, in the in the movie. Where like it's a guy in like a big suit who has two guns on his hands. Instead where of he has one. like a flamethrower, yeah. <laughs> so he has little mini mini boss fights before he has the final boss fight against Red Skull. You know, and that, that's really overall the action sequences are straight like and this will be a thing throughout a lot of the marvel films is the action sequences are when i kind of start to tune out because they're not particularly exciting in hindsight based on what we see in later films and i just really like these characters i'd really like to see the characters do things which i know like you can have characterization through action and all this other stuff like the john wick films do a great job of that but i just wanted to like i want more scenes of captain america talking and talking to peggy and talking to the howling commandos and like having just de- like debates with red skull like that stuff's really good where you start to see like like the inner good guy in captain america and you and you contrast that with just the cartoonish like evil of the red skull and i i found all of that stuff like really really charming where i mean do you mind if i start getting into some of the technical nitty-gritty here yeah go ahead i don't need to continue my stuff okay <laughs> um one of the things i really like about captain america the first Avenger is a, I like the setting. I like that it takes place in what is clearly a different time. than The rest of the Marvel films where one of the big knocks against later Marvel films is they all kind of just seem like the same movie with different things switched out. 
same basic plot, same basic setting, all the special effects sound like the same. And I kind of, in a way, blame the Joss Whedon's Avengers because he had such like kind of like a bland visual style and that sort of set the tone with the rest of the franchises. At least with Phase Two, because I really do think I really do stand by the Phase Three really targets a lot of the issues that come from, like you said, the right. Avengers. Because like you'll listener, you'll hear about this when we talk about the Avengers, which by the way, I'm probably recording in the next six hours. But um, <laughs> it's funny how funny how time worked that way. But um, it is one of those cases where like his his movie is shot like a TV film. Uh, Daniel and I talked about this prior and it's just like, it doesn't really have any sort of character, but when a film that's easily made, I shouldn't say easily, but like has a style and makes a billion dollars. Your plan is to imitate that style. <laughs> Cause like Captain America, the first Avenger is like, we talked to, like, yeah, we talked at length about like how this movie turns into like just schlock and stuff. But like the first half has some such characterization and fun to it. And that I feel like I was watching this and I was like, man, this is like the last time I'll feel this way until Guardians. This is the <laughs> last like I have to get through like six more movies now to get to Guardians on these reviews to be like, finally, a breath of fresh air. <laughs> and even another warning that Daniel told me off the record was you're going to get tired of these movies very soon. <laughs> <laughs> and even in my notes for Avengers, I wrote down like, am I tired now? Like it did it happen. And so, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I forget why I brought that up, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so ca- <laughs> Captain America is, um, it's somewhat historically significant in a weird way because it sort of marks the end of what was sort of the original idea behind the Marvel live action films. And this is a little history for those who aren't aware. Uh, sorry, we waited till this many movies in to start talking about this stuff. But back in 2004 was when Marvel decided to start self-financing and producing their own movies. Previously, Marvel had just been licensing out the more lucrative like, characters and franchises out. You know, Spider-Man went to Sony, X-Men went to Fox, Hulk went to, I believe it was Universal. Um, and those movies ended up making a fair amount of money, especially beginning with New Line Cinema's Blade in 1998, which turned in pretty profit on a relatively low budget. And then even um, X-Men, like the first X-Men movie was huge, which is weird when you go back to watch it because it doesn't <laughs> stop really, great. <laughs> it's just really a mess. Like, it's what is very it? Um, 2000. What's, yeah. what, what happens to something get gets electrocuted? The same Struck thing that happens to everything else. It's just like... Who wrote this? Oh, <laughs> man, man, does X-Men not age well? Sometime sometime we're going to do that. We're going to do all these X-Men movies. Do and... all the non-MCU Marvel movies. We're going like, to watch X-Men Man 2, Thing. And... X-Men 2 is pretty good. I like X-Men 2. I think like that one, I think I remember holding up. but That, that one just has the, the benefit of having a semi-decent screenplay. Like X-Men ages so bad. Um, <laughs> and then it's, 3. It's insane. <laughs> and X-3... Age is a little better by purely just because of how kind of off the rails it is a little bit. That's kind of funny how that works out. X-Men is weird where every other X-Men movie is like the good one. Like, okay, X2 <laughs> and then... Until the last two. Yeah. Well, wait. X- we're, so, we're doing this. We're doing this mini tangent. Was it um <laughs> was it Apocalypse and then Logan and then Dark Phoenix or was it Apocalypse? Was it Logan Apocalypse and then Dark Phoenix? Because so Apocalypse then Logan. Because Apocalypse has so, so it does hold up. The every other rule. Yeah. The rule of law works. First, your first class. <laughs> yeah. And then. Well, Days so, of Future Past and First Class were after each other, and those are supposed to be solid. So it was like First Class, then you had the Wolverine. Oh, never mind. I think the Wolverine is. 
okay for certain things about it and it's weird because like logan i i i I talked about i talk about this fairly regularly about how like some movies just speak to you for whatever reason and as someone who grew up watching westerns and all that stuff and as a red-blooded male who just thinks (laughs) who just like there's something about watching a man heroically just get destroyed physically (laughs) because he's protecting someone that just clicks with a lot of guys and man is logan kind of like the ultimate like zeitgeist catching version of that movie drive or the elevator scene in drive where you're just like i love this (laughs) yeah i just logan just speaks to me it's just i I, logan's probably my favorite superhero film overall but logan puts all of the other wolverine movies into a singular continuity it's very weird where there's even a cut scene where he talks about the events of x-men origins wolverine which i can see why they would cut that um, was it the scene where he fights Gambit and he just basically cuts a ladder up a lot? No, he talks about <laughs> fighting. He talks about fighting Sabretooth on top of that giant whatever building had blown up Nuclear by thing, Deadpool. Deadpool, uh, Silent Deadpool. Silent Deadpool. Yeah, that movie's weird. And like X Men Apocalypse <laughs> has like a post credit scene that's supposed to set up Logan, where Mister Sinister is supposed to be the villain. Which Google Mister Sinister and take a look at that guy, and you'll see why. James Mangold and Hugh Jackman decided that would not be a good-looking villain for their very serious prestige movie. Um, he, imagine, imagine a more like Thanos with more stuff on his costume, <laughs> if that makes sense. Flamboyant like Kafka, where you're yeah, like, that can't be that can't be a villain. And you're like, oh my gosh, no, he. <laughs> Mister Sinister would become a fun villain though for like a different movie where like he has all these different like robots he controls and stuff. But Any, returning what was, back, <laughs> what was I talking about? <laughs> So you were talking about like the the importance yeah. of like classic so, like Blade and stuff. Okay, so anyways, yeah. going back. <laughs> so obviously Marvel Marvel did that because they were like going bankrupt. And so because they made all this money, Slice has got the movies. They were like, oh, so why don't we just make our own movies? So in 2005, Marvel acquired a $525 million loan from Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner, and Smith, Inc. And they did it using the film rights to their own like properties as collateral. So if these movies had tanked, some like firm some like you'd be having dudes on wall street making marvel movies and so they as you may as i just mentioned they had already given out all of like their good juicy bits so spider-man x-men that's all gone but there were 10 announced possible properties these are the ones they put it for collateral slash movies they're actively trying to produce melvin what were the 10 properties they put up for collateral I would assume it's the first, like uh, looking at phase one, it would be those movies because at the very least, if they work, then they know like, not only do we make movies that, you know, we wanted to of these characters, they were also successful and they can use them as testament for getting other characters back. So I would definitely add, you know, Captain America, Thor and Iron Man and all those characters. And then I guess, Thinking back to the fact that the inc- no Iron Man two. Thinking back to the fact that Iron Man two has that map at the end that kind of describes you know like here are other characters. Which is by the way, this is like a light Easter egg. But there's a map at the end of Iron Man two that uh, shows that Shield is in an interaction across the world, and one of them is Wakanda or at the very least in Africa. So you assume it's Wakanda. And then there's even one in the middle of the ocean, which I had to look up. And then my wife schooled me on Namor and said, it's the emo Aquaman. And I was like, well, that sounds cool. 
because <laughs> what a good counter to to um the current aquaman we have which is just like dubro <laughs> but um it'd be it'd be the aquaman who listens to the smiths <laughs> it's just, it's just, yeah i but, <laughs> i i think i may have it, it, um i don't know if i said this in our recurring vanguard of the hawk but i have previously at least in conversation with you made a comment about how like namor is like their response to aquaman namor predates aquaman i found out oh wow yeah i would assume then that black panther might have been in that plan as well as namor just based on what's referenced that are big characters. But like thinking again, forward into phase two and three, it's almost more like they almost took a sigh of relief and said, okay, we can depend on these characters to actually keep us going. So I'll cut it off with the saying like, you know, the, the phase one heroes and then black Panther and Namor. Am I, am I like 50% right? What am I landing on? You're shockingly wrong. But oh my gosh. Black Panther, Black Panther <laughs> is correct. <laughs> so <laughs> that's so bad. <laughs> like you, you were endearing in your answers, but everything you said yeah. was inaccurate. <laughs> your logic is really strong. But so one of the things that I found out in doing a little bit of reading is that after they made this announcement, they then got back the rights to some of other people that they had leads out which included iron man and thor they actually did not presently have the film rights to those characters the 10 properties and i say properties because some of these are not seeing the characters that they had planning on putting in production were captain america uh black panther you're correct nick fury ant-man cloak and dagger doctor strange hawkeye power pack the avengers and shang chi so they just straight up put the Avengers like you could I like you could make a movie from it. But. Right. That one was the most shocking to me. I was shocked that it, Power Pack has weirdly been in some form of production forever. Like occasionally, if you're somebody who follows this this kind of news, you'll hear rumblings that Power Pack is someone who's been commissioned to write on a screenplay for Power Pack. Define Power Pack. It's a group of children superheroes. I have no interest in seeing that. I'm sorry. I just That could be fun if they went the the Amblin route. Like Shazam, right? Oh. Well, Shazam would be cool, but like even the Amblin route where you made it like a ragtag bunch of teens that are enduring like, you know, bad parents <laughs> and like the real world. I could see that being fun. Right. Like they get mad. Their parents will make them let them make TikToks. So then they get <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. You darn kids. Their yeah. parents are in the military, so legally they can't even have TikTok. Um, <laughs> but like if you were to to capture that, that could work. But I think like the thing that's funny about like Amblin entertainment stuff. And then of course, anything that influence is influenced by it. So like Shazam and most notably stranger things. And then, yeah, straight super eight is that they have to be willing to like have children be the way that like they are when they're kids, which are basically horrible constant language. (laughs) And like, yeah, like you can't, or goodness, I was even thinking about um, summer of 84. Have you seen that? No, I have not. Summer of 84 had, first off, it's a very creative depiction of like the the milk carton culture, which was um, basically like when people started to realize that like child abduction was like actually a thing that existed and we need to be much more apparent about it. But you'd have to be willing, like Power Pack would have to be willing to be talking about things like that. Like, and I don't think Power, I don't think Marvel's ever going to go that route because that would be really hard. Like I remember 
this is almost this almost sounds tangential, but it's related. I remember playing bully <laughs> like at my house when I was younger, and my right. mom was offended because she was like, I don't like that like these kids are being so mean to each other. Which is it's a <laughs> like I understand. That's like so I was playing it just wholesome. It is, and it's really nice because like the world your mom lived in, apparently. <laughs> yeah. And I thought it was sweet because I like I understood why it was offensive. Cause it's like bully is all about kids that bully each other at a school and they're doing terrible things to each other. It's just GTA, but at a at a boarding school. And in fact, when that game even came out, there was a big like Moms of America thing against it. Oh, yeah, I remember, I remember that all that. Yeah, you couldn't power like power pack. I understand why that's on the, the back burner and especially post phase three. Like I just could not see them. I could I could not see Kevin Feige committing to like doing that ever. I, I can't help. But, I have no confirmation of this, but I can't help but feel like part of the reason that we haven't gotten a power pack movie is that they can't figure out like a like like a formula for make a movie about children's superheroes that's simultaneously compelling for adults, but like appropriate for children. But like I kind of liked this original vision, where we are going to have MCU stuff for everyone. There's going to like you know we eventually had TV shows and we'll have MCU stuff for children, we'll have MCU stuff for adults, and but it all still connects like a cohesive universe, like the comics. And that's part of the interesting about this original list. All of these films went into some form of production after this announcement. And the Nick Fury thing became the sh- a S.H.I.E.L.D. movie, which then became the TV show. Cloak and Dagger eventually ended up being a TV show. Hawkeye is now going to be a Disney Plus show. And then some of these actually did, did end up becoming movies. This Ant-Man movie is the same. Like Edgar Wright has, was attached to this movie or from 2006 up until he left mid-production of the actual movie, which is part of what was so ups- made me so upset is because he'd been working on this for so long and they just got taken away from him. But yeah, that's the that's the original lineup. What a weird lineup, huh? But it's it's what they had. They didn't have Spider-Man, they didn't have the Hulk at the time before they cut a deal with Universal where they got the rights to make it, but Universal got I think a first deny option on distribution rights or something like that. They basically something that just prevents them from making Hulk solo movies. If Hulk shows up in an Avengers film or well, another film, they can still make one. They just would have to share money with somebody, which Disney does not like. They don't. They don't like sharing money or creative control. Disney's very like weird. So the reason that I'm saying that this Captain America movie is the last kind of part of this plan and not like the upcoming Sing Chi movie is that to me, this is the last of these movies. that feels like it wasn't fully made in house. You know what I mean? There's still this sense that Marvel was collaborating with the studios. You know, they worked with Universal, the Incredible Hulk, Paramount. Uh, they worked with on this one. And this is actually the last movie to actually be been distributed by Paramount. Um, they put the Paramount logo in the Avengers movie, but realistically that was just kind of like a, a polite thing they did. And they went through all these like different pitches for the movie. Initially, the writer for Road to Perdition wrote a screenplay that would deal with like Captain America coming to terms with the fact that he's like a symbol from a bygone era, era and trying to figure out what it means to be Captain America now, you know, which they clearly didn't go with. Now it feels like a lot of these movies are just written in by in-house writers that make sure they fit into some sort of bigger, grander narrative. But here you get the sense that they let Marcus and McFreely, who the writers on this movie just kind of write the movie they wanted. I mean, they later had Joss Whedon do like some uncredited rewrites to make that tie better to the Avengers a little bit. But for the most part, it does feel like this is a movie that Disney was like, Hey, we're making a Captain America movie. And if he's going to show up with some other movie, but here, like kind of, kind of do what you want with it. And I think a huge part of the charm of this movie is having Joe Johnston in the director's chair. 
Now I've talked a lot about how I like the setting. I like this kind of like kitschy Americana vibe, but like it's America as you remember it. If you watch like eighties movies, you know what I mean? Um, do you familiar with Joe Johnston at all? Yeah. I mean, I've seen Jumanji and other stuff. <laughs> Have you seen October sky? I haven't seen October sky. That's Basically like, I feel like I've seen his big movies, but like, it's been a long time since I've really dug into anything by him. Well, until literally yesterday. <laughs> So, um, Stephen Marcus and, uh, gosh, what's the other guy's name? Stephen McFeely. Yeah. Stephen Marcus, Stephen Marcus, Stephen McFeely, who were the writers in the film. You may know them previously as the writers on the Chronicles of Narnia movies, believe it or not, before they started writing on this. So you already have this kind of like wholesome blockbuster, big movie thing. Joe Johnston, he's directed many big effects movies that you might remember from your childhood. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Jumanji, The Rocketeer. Those are great movies to have under your belt those movies really capture something about i think childhood the rocketeer really captures something about this like childhood wonder october sky is about someone trying to build a rocket in their backyard like he has all these movies that capture this sense of like childhood wonder that i think we all like to imagine existed in like the 1940s and 50s but he also has a long history of working in special effects and you be be in fact familiar with some of the stuff he's worked on he was a visual effects artist and art director on a little trilogy called Star Wars, which I think you've seen those movies. I, I'd have to go through like my backlog, but yeah, I, I, it sounds familiar. Yeah. Might be in your letterbox somewhere. Uh, he worked on special effects and his contributions include things like designing Boba Fett's armor, drawing the original concept art for AT-ATs. And he's at least partially credited with helping design Yoda, the Ewoks, the Millennium Falcon, and X-Wings. Which, if you enjoy any of those things, thank Mr. Joe Johnston. Um, if you go on Amazon, you can find he published his sketchbooks with all of his concept art from those movies. They are very expensive because they were like published like the year after each of those movies came out. But I think you can find like various articles and things talking about his contributions. But when you often hear people talk about how like, oh, George Lucas, he takes too much credit for Star Wars. It's kind of because of people like Joe Johnston, who did a lot of the lion's share of creating what I think is one of the most powerful things about Star Wars, which is the designs of things, those iconic images he had a hand in. He also has an Academy Award for special effects for his work on another big pop culture milestone, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And on top of all of that, he designed the Iron Giant. Like he literally came up with a design for that amazing Vin Diesel voice robot in the Iron Giant. So yeah, I have a lot of respect for Joe Johnson, his body of work. He's one of those like unsung heroes, I think. Because when you think about how much of your childhood was enriched by Star Wars, Indiana Jones, the Iron Giant. It's I, th I think it's hard to overstate how much those things had an effect on it. So it doesn't surprise me that when you watch Captain America, the first Avenger, one of the things that sticks out is these look like all of the technology, all of like the Hydra stuff. It looks like stuff you'd see in like a pulp magazine or sci-fi magazine from the 40s and 50s. And to me, that's one of the strongest things about it is this strong visual distinctiveness where even when you look at something like Guardians of the Galaxy, which looks cool and I like the designs of everything, it looks a little grimier than everything else. It still definitely feels like it takes place in the same universe as all these other movies, which isn't a bad thing, but I think it robs the film a little bit of some of its uh, identity. Talking about all the pulpy stuff and everything made me think of um, like this is the closest this movie is the closest we'll get to a Wolfenstein movie. Yeah. Which, for those who don't know, is basically just like, also, basically, like, what if Nazis were badder? <laughs> what if Nazis did more evil things? And kind of also then develops into like an alternate timeline thing. 
But another similar thing, just thinking back to what we talked about in the beginning, like what I really felt was the linchpin for the the film's transition into nonsense. Uh, well, the Wolfenstein games have just a horrible understanding of how women work and like a treatment of women. So it only made sense that like a film that is the closest to a Wolfenstein movie is probably also written by people who've never touched a woman or <laughs> talked to a woman or done anything in the presence of another woman. So it's just like, it it's just to me fits, it fits, um, it fits the setting and time period very well. <laughs> yeah. Where Natalie Dormer just going to grab Captain America and plant one on him for like no discernible reason. Like that was what she was paid to do to come. Yeah. Like she had to come in and probably sit for several hours in makeup and have to get an outfit just right. Just to sit there and do nothing. <laughs> Sounds. Yeah. It's a Wolfenstein movie. Like if I just squint a little, like the, the blue and all the, the poppy elect, like a uh, electric weaponry and Oh yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I I I think this is a great looking movie. So over overall, I think I like this movie. I liked it more than I thought I would rewatching it because my rewatching of Incredible Hulk went so poorly. And <laughs> sorry. <laughs> overall, like a lot of the Phase One and some of the Phase Two films just kind of feel been there done that like you feel like you've already seen this movie even if you haven't specifically seen it you feel like you've already seen it by proxy of having watched the other films there just really isn't a lot that's particularly distinct about them but this one i think has enough character and charm to it to sort of justify it and being part of a rewatch and i think the big thing i think this kind of would transition to kind of what we want to talk more about which is um we talk about like themes we talk about what's something like spiritual we could take from the movie? What's something that we can sort of apply to our lives? I think not to be redundant, but at the heart of this film is Captain America as a character who I've, I think I might've said in the podcast, but I've heard other people echo the sentiment, which is if we want to talk about who the best on screen Superman is, it's Captain America in the MCU. Like he is this embodiment of an idealized version of what American values are. And in a way that's like selfless, but simultaneously like accessible to any sort of culture that's watching it, you know, and you get into the Avengers. There's a great scene in the Avengers where Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner is approaching him. And I think they're talking about like, what's your name? He's like, Bruce, but I go by another name and I'm paraphrasing. And he's like, oh, that's the only name that's important to me. Yes. Yeah. He's like, uh, he says something uh, more directly. He basically says he's heard about him. And he's like, you heard about the other guy? And he's like, well, that's not the one I'm interested in or something like that. Yeah. What he's really interested in is, is Bruce as a man, as a character. As and a human being. The, as a human being. So, yeah. It's, yeah. As a human being. As a real human being. A real human being. <laughs> and, uh, and that's just the whole glue that holds the whole movie together for me. And that's what holds subsequent, like... I think his character arc is the one of the overarching arcs of the entire franchise. Him and Iron Man, they're the intertwined people who have these vastly different ideas of what it means to be a hero and what it means to save the world. And you have this altruistic, I believe in the potential and the good in people in Captain America that carries him throughout Winter Soldier, Civil War, and eventually the conclusions of the Avengers films. And I think that's really when if you want to talk about something that you can sort of look at, it's just 
there's just this pure hearted angel on screen who just loves people and wants to protect them. He doesn't want to kill people. He will, if he has to, which I think is super interesting where there's all this debate about like, Oh man, Superman snaps Zod's neck. Oh man, Batman shoots people in Batman for Superman, all this debate about it. And then when you watch all the Marvel movies, Iron Man and Captain America are just constantly killing people. (laughs) And it's totally fine because Captain America is killing super Nazis. So that's okay. And he's a soldier and he, he's doing what is right in the best way he can, where what is the right thing to do in a situation? I got to kill some Nazis, Iron Man. I got to kill some terrorists. And it's totally like fine because they exist. You talk about a grounded real world. Well, World War II and Middle Eastern conflict. That's pretty grounded real world. So like they're just fighting a good fight, you know? Yeah, I just think that's it. It's like you talked about um you were texting me while watching it and you're like, you gotta talk about the propeller scene. <laughs> <laughs> At least ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that scene is so awesome. Because <laughs> it's it comes it is the most starkly violent thing in the movie. For those who are wondering, there's a scene like first off, again, talking about designs of technology, the super missiles that the Nazis have, <laughs> they're missiles with, with they're piloted <laughs> missiles with propellers on them. It's awesome. <laughs> and some poor Hydra guy, poor evil Nazi, has to has to pilot the missile into the places that uh Red Skull's trying to bomb. And while Captain America's on one of these, he's a guy's back, and the guy just falls and just gets like liquefied <laughs> by the propeller. <laughs> And you hear I like saw a, this in theaters. You yeah. hear like a like <laughs> when you, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like when you touch a like a fan that's spinning. Yeah. And it's just <laughs> like you just like, threw something in the shredder. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that scene comes out of nowhere during like the last 20 <laughs> minutes where it's just really boring and really like I was starting to fall asleep and then that happened and I just started <laughs> laughing immediately because I was like, I just what? didn't expect to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so funny because he like, doesn't he like rip him out of the bomb pilot seat and just like throw him in it? I can't remember if he falls off or if like Captain America initiates. So this, that like, that guy is seat. like on like they're they're struggling and that guy kind of just falls. But then what happens is Cap- <laughs> there is a guy piloting it and Captain America just like pulls that guy's like emergency like thing and that guy just shoots in the air and I guess he's just still in the ocean to this day somewhere yeah. that's it he straight up he he uses a gun in this movie he just has a gun and he does in avengers too i remember yeah uh, i think avengers he shoots an uzi yeah the avengers like came out after the dark knight right i think the dark knight released well 2007 so all of these are after like dark knight 2007 yeah. or dark knight rises no, no, that was in 2013. Sorry. It took way too long because they were like, wait a minute. Heath Ledger is dead. How do we make a sequel? Yeah, Dark Knight's 2008. Dark Knight Rises is 2013. That's crazy to think about. Two big superhero movies came out in 2008. And it, Dark Knight was not the most influential and important one. Isn't that crazy? Wasn't it, was not it Iron Man? Iron Man. Iron Man was the other one. Wow. Yeah. Well, only one of them's got an Oscar. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's it's. I remember sitting in the theater and this is talking about Avengers, but it's Captain America related. So it's cool. It's cool, man. It's kosher. But it, um, I remember like he starts shooting a gun at somebody and like being just a big Batman fan growing up and like loving the comics and knowing that like, you know, the right way to write him is that he doesn't kill people. And if he does kill people, it's because of some like 
you know, it's his the testing of his moral uh, standing. Well, if you have Batman killed, then your movie's super mature and and deep. <laughs> yeah, that's what <laughs> I've know? heard. That's what I've heard from. Uh, that's all you need to do. Particular Zack Snyder, but. <laughs> Even though it's been done a million times now. But. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's not new. Like, <laughs> Guys, I have an idea. What if he shot somebody? Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. What if he caused car crashes? And then we didn't watch him actually do anything. But you go from like Batman, who's like, doesn't kill people. And his moral thing is that like, people can always grow. And then Captain America, who's like, there's good in people, but I'm still going to shoot somebody if I need <laughs> but to. But war is <laughs> war. Like, like, I remember being like, this is weird. But now I'm like watching. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. I get it. <laughs> He's a soldier. He's yeah. a soldier. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. Um, which is, makes a lot more sense than Iron Man being like, it's not a weapon. <laughs> he just like puts <laughs> guns in it. <laughs> well, it's not a weapon, but it's a, it's just a. It's flight. a lot of weapons. <laughs> it's a flight suit, but I have missiles in it. Like, okay, what are you going to use those for? If it's just a flight suit. <laughs> That's like peak. Like <laughs> guns don't kill people. Bullets do. Kind of like argument. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to be real about it and just do what Weird Al says. <laughs> uh, guns don't kill people. I do. <laughs> like it's just... That's John Lejoie. Was that? I don't. John I remember Lejoie. the. Weird Al would never make a song that filthy. No, it's in, it's in, I think that's in UHF. Is it? Doesn't he make a clip in UHF and he's like, guns don't kill people. And then it zooms up on him and he's like, I do. Is is it? (laughs) Solid joke for two different comedians. (laughs) There's also the um, Gandhi 2. It's the sequel to Gandhi 1. (laughs) And he's like in a library killing people. It's just like so bad. Yeah, I, maybe I just have like a vague memory of watching some sort of movie. It's like a traumatic event where like someone just says, I kill people instead. I don't know. Just related that. <laughs> well, to John, John Lejoie's YouTube song called Guns Don't Kill People. Uh-uh. I kill people <laughs> with, with guns. <laughs> it's great. But I mean, what, what what did you take away from the movie? Like, I think as far as like takeaway from this film is concerned, like it's it. This is one of those experiences where like. I really only enjoy taking things away from movies that either like connect with me. So like the last broadcast is something that people most would be like, that's not a good movie, but like to me, it just connects with me. And so like, I take away from it, like things that are just that touch me and engage me. But like Captain America is in that place where like, it's doesn't connect with me because like it kind of just falls off. Like I'm really into it. You're carrying me to a direction that I'm enjoying. And then halfway into it, the movie decides I'm just not interested in being good anymore. Like I've, I've gotten you to stay for an hour. You're not going to leave. Like there's no reason for me to try hard. Uh, And so I just don't know if I can say like, honestly, I've taken something away from this. In fact, one of the continued difficulties of covering the MCU on Sindoc will be the fact that people might tune in and be like, because this is a Christian podcast. I know that if I'm listening, I'll get something worthwhile. And like, I really hope that's true. But I also think it's appropriate to say like what you get from me worth that that I believe is worthwhile is like some movies are just there's nothing to take from them unless they connect with you. And this is one of those movies where I don't take anything from it. It's just sort of pulp fun. And I finished it and I don't know if I'll rewatch it until like a decade later or even two decades when I have a child and they're like, can we watch these? And I'm like, yeah, only fast forward the stuff in phase one. That's sexual. And it's just like strangely sexual. It's just weird. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I don't know if I could really sit back and say like, this is what I took from it. And dear listener, when you're listening, you could take this too. Like, I don't think you could like, it's just, I don't know. 
It's it's the argument of like, what is the value of just movies that are decent or pretty good or okay, you know? Or even thinking like the Sunday comics, like what's the value of the Sunday funnies? Like I don't get anything for for all you old listeners because I know we have demographic that's over sixty five, but. Like when you're reading the Sunday funnies, it's easy to discard them as like nothing, but like they actually do have value. And so like in that sense, yeah, okay, Captain America, the first Avenger has value just being a fun movie to watch. But like I can't step away and say like I've learned something about myself. I've learned something about like I was talking about earlier where like there is probably an instance. There is bits of an interesting story of a meek man becoming powerful and then having to realize the the difficulty of that, like the scene in the bar where he's like, I can't even get drunk. But like, they don't really run with that. And then at that point, I'm like, okay, there's nothing more to take except for Red Skull has cool prosthetics. That's about it. Okay, I mean, that's fair. I mean, <laughs> I mean like the, the movie's big point is fairly basic, you know, like it doesn't, the good soldier is not someone who's really physically strong. It's a good man. You know, that's not revolutionary. <laughs> I don't think anyone's yeah. life will change by that. And that's even like, and that's even like the Jesus story. I mean, Jesus wasn't a fair man like David. He was just look like a normal dude. And so to that end, like, yeah, I can take that. But like, also I get that from the gospel story. And I don't want to do that thing where we've mentioned this before. In fact, you did where it's like, you know, if if our plan is to just watch movies that are better, we'll just watch, you know, Citizen Kane on repeat. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. that's not how you do it. But yeah. like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's not really, it doesn't offer me a different perspective. And I think that's what I kind of go for when I yeah. watch movies is like, I kind of want to be challenged a little bit. And I felt like I was about to be challenged or at least greatly entertained. And then like the second hour hits and it's just not, neither really entertaining or challenging yeah because they 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 start off with some stuff about like american propaganda you know and that's an interesting thing or like how superheroes or um, an american like i like i like iconic character like captain america can be used to send a message more than actually do something useful and that's all kind of just evaporates as the movie goes along or they just shed all those kind of like interesting ideas just to watch a dude throw a shield at people which you know is the best it's 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 kind of a thing of like do you want like a it's a comfort food versus something nourishing kind of thing where like yes these are comforting ideas and i will never get tired this is just a thing that i never get tired of watching a movie where somebody has learns a lesson about self-sacrifice and doing the right thing even if it's difficult those messages yeah. will always connect with me you know, I enjoy that like Thor. Like Thor is just about a guy having to learn to be sacrificial in order to be a hero. And again, they don't reinvent the wheel. There's some interesting things in there with like you have Kenneth Branagh, who's like a Shakespearean director directing Thor. And you have Anthony Hopkins playing Odin. And there's all this like grandeur and, and like majesty on screen. And then he fights a big metal dude that doesn't even have like any defining features, you know? Yeah. Or again, there's this interesting stuff. And I like all the fish out of water humor in that movie. But you could also, you know, go the rest of your life without seeing it and you wouldn't really miss anything, which is kind of the big, I think, Achilles heel of all these early MCU films where they're not bad, but you're not missing a lot. You could, It does make the Avengers a little bit more enjoyable because you're more familiar with the characters, but you could also probably watch that movie on its own and get pretty, pretty entertained regardless. Can confirm that like the Avengers yeah. <laughs> does a good job of setting the stage for every character that you'll get enough definition by the end that, yeah. you know, everything's fine. Even if you didn't see Hawkeye and Thor, you know, 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which, by the way, when I saw Avengers, I didn't see Thor and I didn't see Incredible Hulk before I saw Avengers in theaters. And I was, you know, wasn't missing out on anything. <laughs> yeah. So perfectly fine. You don't even see Hawkeye shoot an arrow in Thor. He, nope. He just he, gets ready. He, but he, he, he's, he almost does. Yes. And you see Agent Sitwell, who's kind of a big MCU character in Thor. So if you're a nerd like me, that stuff kind of matters. But I mean, do, do you want to hear some Easter eggs and stuff? So I thought it would be I thought it would be better with rather than trying to sprinkle all these various Easter eggs and references throughout the episode. If we just had a section at the end where I could sort of name the ones that I thought were interesting as opposed to just, you know, constantly just throwing bits out there like I did during the Incredible Hulk. So and for the record, I don't think it's a funny drag if it's something like, oh, if you look at his driver's license, the dates on there, like spell out his first comic appearance. Like that's stuff I'm not particularly interested in. Uh, I'm more into stuff that I guess, I guess interesting is relative. This is just stuff I like. I'm sorry if you don't like it, but these are the things that stick out to me. I So I have Easter eggs and universe building, the things that kind of, I think if you're kind of an MCU nerd, this is stuff that you care about and are interested in. Uh, the first really big thing is during the Stark Expo, did you notice anything prominent? I don't know if I'd say prominent, but there was that suit that my wife and I saw in the one. It was like a display room, and then there's a red suit. And she said that that was a particular character. Yes, your wife is correct. That is an android by the name of Jim Hammond, better known by the name. Drum roll, Melvin. <laughs> Human Torch. And he actually, in the comics, he predates the Johnny Storm character from the Fantastic Four. This is the original Human Torch. So, which is kind of interesting to me, similar to like things like like Man-Thing gets referenced very, throughout the MCU. He's mentioned Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's mentioned in um, Thor Ragnarok. This is interesting to me because that means that there is a synthetic man android that can shoot flames that's just walking around in the MCU somewhere. It's 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 weird to me that they have this huge character who's just there standing there and he's never brought up again. I don't know if it's because there's some legal thing with the name Human Torch, but yeah. So in the Stark Expo, there is a Human Torch guy. That was interesting, huh, Melvin? <laughs> is that like um thinking about like there's just somebody out there that like could could actually contribute? Is this like the equivalent of like Iron Man 2's hammer still being like alive but just never being used anymore? Kinda, yeah. It's like, I mean, it's not the same entirely because Hammer was in a movie, but like, yeah. how do you have Sam Rockwell on your roster and just not bring him I back? I don't know. He's Hammer Tech is still alive and well. They're mentioned in Luke Cage. His company's still making weapons. I don't know. Yeah. They, they, Sam Rockwell has made comments suggesting that he actually would be really totally down to play the character again. He'd love to come back. But who knows? I don't know if like Iron Man 2 is also similar to Incredible Hulk where there's just this stuff in it that just doesn't come back ever again. I don't know. That's a, yeah. I think the weird thing is that this character is canonically clearly stated to exist in the forties. So who knows if he'd even that still be too. alive, but that I mean, too. he's, he's an Android. So he's an Android. They already are doing movies that are set in the past anyway. Yeah. Which I guess like they broke that down because they already were planning to do time travel. Um, massive spoilers <laughs> for a comic book universe. Of course there's time travel. So yeah. it's just like, why not? But, also like what a cool character <laughs> yeah it's a cool character and time travel exists has been 
Doctor Strange, there's this whole sequence where they talk about the different types of time travel that exist. Uh, there's time travel in The Runaways, there's time travel in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and there's, of course, time travel in Endgame. So, <laughs> I don't know. The, the, there's no rules anymore. You can do whatever you want. No, time travel can always do whatever it wants, and that's yeah. the problem. <laughs> there's time travel. We've got magic. We have weird science. We have alien technology. If you start complaining about like logic and stuff in these movies, it's just there's only so much that I can sympathize with your complaints. So anyway, uh, J.J. Field's character, James Montgomery Far- Fallsworth, who you may remember as the British member of Cap's uh, Howling Commandos team. I'm sure that character, that iconic character really stuck with you. Um, <laughs> he's the British guy. If uh, In the comics, he's a character called Union Jack. Uh, Union Jack is interesting because in the comics, Union Jack is part of a group called the Invaders, who were led by Captain America and their team on a mission during World War II. So they're never called this in, in the movie, but the team is essentially a group called the Howling Commandos, who are like a World War II so- squadron. Initially in the comics, they were like a group led by Nick Fury, but as the comics went along, Nick Fury can't be like 100 years old, so they just slowly retcon things. But they also mix them with the idea of the Invaders. And the Invaders lineup was made up of Captain America, Bucky... Human Torch, this one that's in the movie, funnily enough, Toro and Namor before Union Jack added them. So they added all these things together. They added the Howling Commandos and the uh, invaders together to form this like team in the movie. Uh, weird. There's a, here's a weird tidbit, though. James Montgomery Fallsworth's costume in the movie is inspired by a character with the amazing name of Pinky Pinkerton. Poor guy. Um, <laughs> but then... On the show Agent Carter, Pinky Pinkerton shows up there as a member of the Howling Commandos with the exact same outfit. So there's just randomly two different guys on this team that have the exact same outfit and look the same. It's the second case of next time, baby. Yeah, it's the next time, baby. Uh, <laughs> and so, of course, here's the big thing for MCU fans is that the movie essentially spawned a whole TV show. There was a one shot called Agent Carter, which was fairly well received, and it led to a two season TV show by the same name. Uh, the show was interesting because it actually was produced by Kevin Feige. So it is, unlike a lot of the television shows, it is very clearly established as canon to the point where James Darcy's James Darcy plays Jarvis, like a physical human Jarvis on the show, who assists Peggy Carter, and he shows up in Endgame, uh, assisting an older Howard Stark. Speaking of which, uh, Dominic Cooper actually does play Howard Stark in the show. Dum Dum Dugan makes an appearance. Uh, these characters also cross over the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and it's been confirmed that the final season of S.H.I.E.L.D. will involve time travel and will, in fact, cross over with Agent Carter, which gives people a lot of hope because Agent Carter, in case you're feeling like watching the two-season show, it ends on a huge, massive cliffhanger. So just be prepared for that. But I like the show. I don't. You've, have you ever checked it out? I haven't watched any of the Marvel TV shows, including the Netflix ones. I think Kat and I like started The Punisher and watched like two episodes, but... I just, I don't know what it is, but I can watch six movies in a row, but I can't watch a single season of a show without just being like, but I could watch six movies instead. I don't know why. Like my brain just thinks there's a difference, but for me, there just is. So I, nope, haven't watched almost anything <laughs> that is a Marvel well, TV show. That'll be our next series of the podcast. We're going to watch. That's my biggest fear about the like, runaways. We're going to watch cloak and dagger. We're gonna watch. I'm so afraid of Disney plus like focusing so much on these shows though. Like, so you have WandaVision and everything else that's coming up, which when I really say that, I mean, WandaVision and everything else that everyone knows exists, but probably isn't that interested in. And like, I, 
I just hope that they're not that connected to the movies because I really don't. Like, oh, I don't want to have to watch those also. And so... I know that like, d- did you hear this? That like the new Doctor Strange will probably connect with WandaVision. And like, yes, as I was to say, like, it's probably fairly important. Like, I don't know. Can I like, can I, can I commit to that? Like, I, I can't right now. <laughs> so these, these shows are supposed to be like six or seven episode shows. Good. So. <laughs> Make it three. <laughs> you mean the length of a single movie is what you want yes <laughs> just make tv movies i don't care <laughs> i mean <laughs> i just can't do it man i don't know why it's like my brain's like i could do seven solid episodes of something my issue with like the netflix shows is that a lot of them are like forced to do like 13 episodes when they have about eight episodes of story and i think that's what kills a lot of netflix shows for me and i i really like daredevil and jessica jones specifically i think those shows are great but man does every single one of those net marvel netflix shows have that like mid-season drag where there's just no reason for the season to be that as long as they commissioned this it. is this is why i'm so afraid of the fact that like stranger things stranger things season four is going to be next year because as a movie podcast it only makes sense that you would have to talk about stranger things and lead up for that and yeah. i just i just don't want to watch them again and i don't want to get through season two again because i we haven't even finished it. We like Kat and I were like, oh, Dead by Daylight has the Demogorgon now as a new creature. We should just finally finish season two. And we watch one more episode and we're like, this is terrible. <laughs> like, it's just can't do it, man. I know that there's a lot of Stranger Things stands, but I just I can't. Season three is a lot better. Season three uh, is a lot better. I don't but... know, man. Can I can I do that? I don't know. <laughs> well, so just so you know, Agent Carter, both seasons total come to 18 episodes between total first season's eight episodes second season's 10 episodes so if you ever want to do that on the podcast that won't be such a big commitment uh i think it's i think it's pretty good it follows peggy carter trying to be a woman in a man's world as she tries to run shield there's some fun continuity stuff in it it's again it's a period piece that takes place in the 40s which i really enjoy is it on d plus i think so i think it's on disney plus because I love how, like, now you just don't know. Everyone's accepted the fact that Disney Plus is not everything we thought it was. <laughs> yeah, Incredible Hulk's not on there. Yeah, and neither Spider-Man is on there. Yep. I don't think they... They have the old Spider-Man cartoon, but they don't have Homecoming or Far From Home, last I heard. So it's like... I don't think they I don't think they ever will. Unless they like, buy out the right, the distribution rights. Sony's... Sony, I love that, like... First off... I this will be the shortest tangent and I always have to say that because they always inevitably turn wrong and now everyone can just be patient and loving and forgive me but I love that the movie industry is so petty right now and I'm just going to leave it at that <laughs> yeah it's awesome like I don't know why people watch reality television when real life is just as exciting <laughs> this is great See, I, I cut that one off really quick. That's great. That was good. I that was a lot of restraint, Melvin. I appreciate Thank you. that. Um, and here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a fun tidbit for everyone. Speaking of Spider Man, Kenneth Choi plays Helen Commando Jim Morita in this movie, and Kenneth Choi reappears in Spider Man Homecoming as Principal Morita, the son of his previous character. There's even a photograph of Jim Morita in his office, and there's a deleted scene in the Avengers where uh, Chris Evans is reading through various lists of his former Howling Commandos mates and two of them are confirmed to be deceased and Jim Rita is sadly one of them. Thank you for your service, <laughs> Jim Rita. <laughs> that's a that's a fun continuity. I like stuff like that. I like that they just have like the same actor show up and play 
like their own net, their own ancestor and own there's a the you remember in captain america in the movie where there's a scene where like he's signing autographs and then one blonde woman comes up and is really excited to meet him mm-hmm. i do that that same actress shows up as peter cole's mother in the guardians of the galaxy movies and james gunn has gone on twitter being like oh yeah that's uh that's her grandma if you want to think that <laughs> i guess <laughs> like hey whatever you weirdos <laughs> everything has to connect to you guys you know I love how James Gunn is just like, I just, I literally only like the Guardians. <laughs> That's all I care about. That's all I'll invest. He pitched, he pitched a Moon Knight movie. He really wanted to do a Moon Knight movie. I think if he channeled his early, like early filmography. You mean super? <laughs> just oh, no. do that. I love that movie. <laughs> this Moon Knight shows up in a line and hits somebody over the head with a hammer while like triumphant music you plays. Don't butt in line. <laughs> You know, I like that was like only the only scene I knew about for years. And like it was early on and like my Oh man. Like I didn't know anything There's about so like, much in that movie. I didn't know anything about it. And it was that almost is... like out of context, it's almost traumatic because it's so violent. <laughs> Cause I just didn't there's there's a thing my dad says about like te- teach my dad teaches uh middle school and he says the fun the fun part about middle school is like even though kids don't understand satire, they have the energy to learn it. But the problem is that sometimes they still don't understand satire. And I think in my case, I saw that scene like around middle school. So it, like I didn't get the satire of what was going on. So I was like, this is so scary. And that is so mean. <laughs> but like now I'm like, I love it. This is great. Like a real life superhero would just really be a jerk. <laughs> it's just awesome. Oh, man. It's still probably terrible. I probably won't watch it, but <laughs> yeah. Give me Moon Knight where it's just basically super. It's just awesome. You know, Brightburn and Super apparently exist in the same universe. Did you know that? Yeah, because isn't what's his name at the end of Brightburn is the same. There's city. like a newspaper clipping of the Crimson Bolt. <laughs> like just for some reason. <laughs> Brightburn's so bad too. It's so bad. It has <laughs> is nothing worthwhile. It, no, the only thing that was worthwhile was my episode because I basically talk about what if and then just talk about that instead. <laughs> so go listen to that. Go listen to the archives, the Sindoc archives. Yay. So I, I don't know if you picked up on this, but I'm a pretty big uh, MCU guy, if you haven't noticed. Yes, I'd say so. Yeah. it's that You're the only one carrying this MC, these MCU episodes. <laughs> um, so like... It, MCU for me is very much kind of like my Star Wars in that it's like this big monster that I just have fun following and I love criticizing it when it's bad and I love praising it when it's good, which I don't like talking about all the time because like I feel like that colors people's perception of you too much. Or like if Wonder Woman 84 is like dad, for example, and I say like I didn't like it, people be like, well, he's just an MCU fanboy, even though I spent like a whole episode talking about how much Incredible Hulk sucks and i think iron man 2 is bad and i think there's a lot of flaws in these movies but like it doesn't matter like now that i've said that oh i like these movies and i like specifically like all the fun continuity stuff and i've seen all the shows people be like oh this guy's an idiot (laughs) like he doesn't know real cinema he doesn't know real movies and that will just create this bias against me i love how there was that short i mean it was short-lived because Zack snyder but there was that short period where people considered the DC movies was the real cinema of, of like pop culture. 
Like if you wanted to really be cool, you had to watch the Marvel or the DC movies. And then that, that got shut up real quick. And like now it's, it almost feels like uh, nobody, I don't see anybody arguing the the position of DC movies are more real anymore online at all. And I think that's purely because of Batman versus Superman and then Suicide Squad, just like, like insult the, to injury. Justice League. Yeah. And then Justice League was just yeah. so lifeless. And now we're in a position where it's like Marvel is very comfortable where it is. And DC is still kind of like charismatically figuring out what it wants to do because Aquaman just doesn't care. And that's why it's fun. Shazam is fun for two reasons. One, because it's a director showing that they've really grown like that is uh, yeah. what's his name again. Yeah. I forget. Lights out guy. <laughs> yeah. Lights, whatever his name. Sorry. I know you probably don't listen to us, but <laughs> you've grown and that's really cool. And then even um, Joker is just like this weird billion dollar micro budget movie and all of that's very endearing but nobody anymore is going i really hope nobody's ever uh, going like you know dc is the if you want to be really cool with cinema it's dc now and then it's like no they're, they're still just the same like these are all just the same i'll, I'll like hey if you do, if you think i'm an mcu fanboy all you need to know is i think crisis infinite earths that that corny silly big crossover is one of the best crossovers i've ever seen you got to see tom welling's superman like in have this like really touching beautiful scene you got to see <laughs> 2002 birds of prey show get wiped from existence apparently you got to see the like, only thing the, that, um, 90- that can like recover like if because at this point from your perspective i guess you would say like dc has succeeded in the ultimate crossover as far as like because of crisis of infinite verse i assume in comparison the only thing the mcu can do to top that is if they somehow tie in roger corman's fantastic Four <laughs> to the canon of the well, mcu yeah <laughs> what needs to happen multiverse of madness this whole movies experiment is a waste if there isn't scenes where dr strange and uh, scarlet witch just like visit other marvel movies like if there isn't a scene where they see like ben affleck daredevil and like nicholas cage ghost rider like then it's what's the point you know what I mean? Like, if they don't go see the, like, J.D. Salinger's son Captain America movie, or if they don't see, like... Early Josh Brolin Thanos, which looks so <laughs> so bad now because it's prosthetics instead of CG, so it just looks, like, so gross. Like, I want to see <laughs> Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland Spider-Man all in a scene together. I want to see Thomas Jane, Dolph Lundgren, and Ray Stevenson Punisher get killed by John Bernthal Punisher. Like that's what I want, and that's what that's the crossover you need. Like, but it's they not could, happen. and they could. That's the thing. <laughs> it's there's this weird thing where Kevin Feige doesn't even want to cross over the stuff that's technically canon. So like, it's frustrating. So that's the that's the show, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you've seen Captain America the First Avenger, what did you think of it? Is this film a fun, pulpy period piece with a superhero flair? Or does that second half get a bit too overbearing for its own good? If you're listening on Cinematic Doctrine's website, let us know in the comments below or shoot us an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com. 
If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review for the podcast on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. Unlike YouTube or Reddit, there isn't really a way to let us know how we're doing with a thumbs up or thumbs down. So the best way to leave your thoughts on the podcast is to write a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or wherever you listen. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once a month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. You also gain access to the Sindoc Pre-Show, a Patreon-exclusive podcast series where my co-host Daniel and I casually talk movies, Christianity, and life itself. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who supported the Outhouse Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, and Melanie. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. All of this will be available in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.